0: We're looking this morning at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, just two verses. won't take but just a moment to read them. We're going to take a little bit of time to unpack exactly uh, what the Lord is teaching us in this. If you were to poll men and women around the country, you would find around 40% of the men and women in this country would claim to regularly attend worship services. 40%. But you'll find that less than 20% Actually, do less than 20% of folks in in what the world would look at and call us a Christian nation. Less than 20% of our folks actually gather regularly for corporate worship. And over the past 10 years, we have seen a stark decrease in the number of folks who gather weekly for attendance. But we have seen an overall growth in the population of the United States. But when it comes to numbers, an overall decrease in the number of people who would gather together for worship. Well, you might ask, you know, as technology has grown, has our need for corporate worship diminished? Well, if I can go online and listen to extraordinary music, have fantastic preaching, I can experience just lustrous video of all that's going on, that I can give online just by swiping a card or punching it in, that I can do this whenever I feel like it, and I can do all this online, I can sit in my home theater in my pajamas and worship, then why shouldn't I? Isn't this just evolution at its best, that I can pause worship, I can rewind it, I can replay it, and you would say to yourself, you know what, I just get so much more out of an experience like that. What we're really saying is I like it better? I, because I like it better, then it must be better. But as we've been looking over these past weeks, worship is not about getting. It's not about coming and, and walking out and evaluating, but, but what did I get out of that? It's really about an examination of, of what did I give, Not in the plates only. But what did I give out of my spirit, out of my heart? What praise did I bring with my whole self? Have I given to God? Did I serve one another? Did I fulfill the two great commandments in our gathering together? Did I live that out regularly within the context of this worship? Well, this passage, as we look at it, speaks specifically about what Jesus described as the second great commandment, the one like unto the first. The first being that we should love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, body, strength. All that we are, we should love the Lord. And the second is like to it. He said we should love our neighbor as ourself. And there is a powerful aspect of worship that is about loving our neighbors as ourself. In the context of this passage, if you turn with me to, uh, to Hebrews chapter 10, and if you've got the, uh, the pew Bible in front of you, uh, Hebrews chapter 10 is on uh, page 1007. 1,007. We're looking at a couple of verses, but if you look at the verses preceding it, it it speaks about this idea of that we have entered into that holy place. We've entered into the presence of God. We enter into a spirit, an attitude, and a presence of worship by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the only way that we can do it. That Jesus is our high priest. He is the one who broke down the curtain where we can now enter into the presence of God and we might stand boldly there because we stand in Christ Jesus. So this is the context of this verse. But verse 24 takes that context and places it in a specific application of worship and gathering. Verse 24, let's read this together. You follow along as I read out loud. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, Let us consider how to stir one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would write it upon our hearts. I pray that you would show us how we might live this out, Father, each day, that we would find in this word, Father, a truth that transforms, that we would know the reality of your God-breathed instruction to us, that as we find ourselves saved by Jesus Christ and him alone, that we would live in such a way that brings glory to you, and would powerfully serve one another well. Lord, we thank you that though the grass withers and the flower fades, your word endures forever and ever. Amen. We have been talking about worship, worship being the, the reason that we are. It's that idea that that God has saved us and God has called us together that we might worship Him. It's the one thing that the Scripture says that God desires from us. He desires our worship. Now, get this straight. He doesn't require it, but He desires it. He doesn't require it in, in that God doesn't need us to worship Him. It's not that in our worship He becomes God. It's who he is, who he is, and he desires that we would understand that in his love, that we would know it, that we would acknowledge it, and that we would see how that is eternally for our benefit and for our blessing. He desires us to worship him because he knows that true worship comes out of a right heart and a right heart comes by his transforming work in it that we would love Him with all that we are, and that we would live lives of worship. But we also speak specifically about corporate worship, the gathering, people coming together to praise God. Worship is is the reason the church exists. Everything else, evangelism, service, mercy, all of that flows from hearts that are united in worship. We've talked about this idea that that worship has, has gotten really muddled up in our thinking and and intertwined with the concept of entertainment. Entertainment has become really the driving factor in our culture. There is a a book that was written uh, several decades ago by Neil Postman called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And it was that entertainment became uh, the the, the, the rubric by which things lived or died. Uh, The news, uh, any type of education. It's about being entertained through the process that we would would seek to be entertained and amused even as we were dealing with the most uh, significant and life-changing, the most eternal of issues. But if worship is entertainment, then worshipers become an audience. And if worshipers are the audience, they become the focus. Our eyes are taken off of God, and it comes really about what do I like. Uh, Worship becomes a mirror that we look into that we might, you know, primp ourselves, we might put on a little makeup, we might straighten our hair, that we might simply put on the facade of righteousness. Isaiah 29 says and warns of the people who draw near with their mouths and honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far, far, far away. We've been called to worship the Lord in sincerity, with depth, not seeking to just get what it is I want in the moment. We also talked about that the the joy of singing, that that people who have been saved by God are people who sing praise to God, not necessarily uh, as musically skilled and talented as a choir member or or, uh, an opera singer, but that we would, would be full of the song of praise to God, that we would have broken and contrite hearts, that we would be humble before God, We talked about the sacraments and we we talked about the, um, the quiet, prayerful reflection of worship and prayer. But today we're talking about the gathering together or hearts united before God. We've become an increasingly isolationist world. Our, our society is becoming increasingly compartmentalized that we would would seek out absolutely controlled virtual relationships over the, the very dangerous, the, the very risky, uh, the very uh, tempestuous personal and real relationships. You know, if I am upset by what somebody says on Facebook, I can unfriend them. Boop. And, and we all know the the turmoil that comes when you find out somebody's unfriended you on Facebook. Or we can be a little more subtle than that. I'm, I'm probably going to give you some, some, some instruction here that might be dangerous. But you know you can not only unfriend people but you just hide them. Where they don't know that you're not looking at them. It's, it's a mechanism <clears throat> excuse me, that has given us in the virtual world absolute control over our relationships with others. I don't want to see what they're saying. I don't want to hear this. I'm going to hide this. I'm going to comment on this and then I don't want to see how they reply to me. I'm going to put this out there then I'm going to back away and I'm not going to pay attention to what's going on. I'm going to take absolute control over my relationship with others. We've created virtual relationships which I would say are not real relationships at all. We can come up with avatars. We can come up with make-believe people that we really aren't and whether or not you create a... uh, picture or a facade or something to put up there that looks like it or doesn't, we, we construct it when we put things online, when we, we, we talk about things in a virtual way, when we separate ourselves from others in the reality of life, we can simply have them to see what we want them to see and hide all the icky, difficult parts. And these are not real relationships, but God calls us to be in real relationships with one another, and that requires us to gather together. And we see the purpose behind it. If we look here in Hebrews chapter 10, why is it that we need to come together? Why is it that we need to know each other? Why is it that we need to know the icky parts, the difficult parts, the unlikable parts, the the dirty, nasty parts? Why do we need to know this about one another? Verse 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. We can't do that at a distance. We can't stir one another up without knowing each other. What the author of Hebrews is saying is it's not enough as a Christian to simply practice love and good deeds. We've been called to take effort, to contemplate, to think about how to motivate and stir others up to love and good deeds. We must be aware that different people require different ways of doing this, and it requires us getting down in the dirt with them. So let's pause for a second and we say, how is it? How is it we can take and apply Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24? Look at this. This is an imperative statement. This is a go-do statement. This is something that's telling us that there is something that we ought to do based on the fact that we understand that we've been saved by Christ. Let us consider how to stir one another onto love and good deeds. Well, how do we do that? Well, if we consider the the teaching of Scripture overall, I would say that we would absolutely begin with the encouragement of righteousness, that we would encourage one another, that we would would spur one another on, that that we would be quick to, to bring that loving embrace to those around us. We see doing things which bring glory to God and edify the body. That we would be quick with thank yous. That we would be quick with grateful expressions of encouragement to one another. That we would multiply the fruitfulness of others by commending and appreciating them for what they've done. Now, I know, I know so many of you don't, don't seek that out. You, you don't want to be noted. You want to do things behind the scenes. And that's fine. But as you notice. And as things are noticed how good and right it is that God's people would look at one another and they would say, thank you. Thank you. And we're not going to see that if we don't gather together. Secondly, we, we can also set an example for others that others would see. Now you think, but I don't want people to see what I'm doing. I just want to do it for God. But, but understand that we've been called to so let our light shine before others that others would see our good deeds and glorify God who is in heaven that the things that we do will often be noticed, and we shouldn't be afraid of that, so long as what we're doing causes them to praise and to glorify God. That we ought to be setting examples of love and good deeds in front of others. We also, as we've talked about in the context of worship, we ought to be praying for one another, praying for one another fervently, that we ought to be investing in each other's lives and understanding what's going on so that we can pray with and that we can pray for one another, that we would be spending that time together before God's throne of grace. We can do that on the phone, yes. We can do that online, sure. We can say, I'll pray for you. We can write letters, as I talked about up here earlier, but how wonderful it is when you can reach across and you can hold the hand of a brother or sister and pray together to go to God together. And to to understand that promise of Matthew 18, for two or more have gathered together in my name, there I am in your midst. And what a wonderful thing it is that we can come together and have 100 plus folks gathered in worship and praising God and praying together. Another thing that we can do to spur one another on to love and good deeds is we ought to be pursuing those around who who might be unmoored, who might be untethered, who, who might be drifting or going through a difficult time that we would, would reach out in love, that we would pursue, just like our Savior chasing that one sheep over mountains and picking them up and bringing them back the same way that we would reach out to those who may be hurting and wandering and drifting. Now, now what about that? How, why don't we do that? Well, we get concerned sometimes about meddling, don't we? we? We get concerned about speaking to others about what's going on in their life and thinking, oh, well, I don't want don't want to meddle. And you know what? Sometimes people don't want you to meddle. But we do need to love people enough to sometimes even do things that they don't like very much in love. We think about being parents and the things that we have to do with the children. With our children, we we have to do things sometimes that they don't like very much and it makes them not like us very much, but we love them and we do what is right and best. And we do that with friends, with family. I've had to speak with brothers and and with family members, with parents and friends to speak the truth in love. You see, sometimes we have to be a little nosy, not for the purpose of being intrusive, but recognizing we're family. And family reaches out to each other and we embrace each other. This is how in coming together that we spur one another on to love and to good deeds. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, we should not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. Well, there there, there was this uh, this teaching that was was going going about saying that indeed if if we are saved by Christ alone, then there is nothing else that is is obligated. There's no other nothing else to be done. So we've been saved by Christ, so so why bother? We we ought not forsake the assembling. Together is what the writer is saying. We ought not be afraid of the consequences of gathering together. Uh, that even if our life were taken from us, that we ought to be pursuing that time together as the body of Christ. It says, not neglecting to meet together, verse 25, is the habit of some, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, as I began this, talking about some of the statistics about assembling in the church and attendance in our day what why don't people gather together why do people forsake the assembly there's there's good reasons there's bad reasons there's necessary reasons there's horribly selfish reasons we can't get past the fact that there have been those who have been hurt by others in the past and they I just decided that I'm not going to open myself up to that kind of hurt again. I'm not saying that's a good reason. I'm saying that's a real reason. I'm saying there are those who have gathered together and and opened themselves up for the loving accountability of other Christians and had sinners hurt them. It happens. It happens in the best relationships. It happens in the best families. It happens in the best churches. We, We think about though, the wonderful full message, the gospel and the full message of the gospel is this, that, yes, we are going to disappoint each other. Yes, we're going to hurt each other. But the wonderful thing is that we can come back to one another. We can deal with that issue and we can find forgiveness and reconciliation that we can demonstrate to a watching world that the one who is at work in me, who has brought about reconciliation in my relationship with God can can fix these hurts and these broken, broken relationships. There are horrible reasons for not gathering together laziness. There are those who said, Well, Sunday is just my only day to get a little bit of rest. Sunday's my day to catch up. Sunday's my day to do what I want. The other six days I've got to do what my boss wants. There are others who are biblically, unbiblically, excuse me, unbiblically isolationistic. That idea that it's just all about me and God. It's this this idea that that God does not place us in community. It's just all about my relationship. It's just all vertical. There's no horizontal to it at all. And and that's not true. When our Savior spoke about what is the greatest commandment, He could have simply said, Love the Lord your God with all that you are. He said, no. But the second is like unto it. If you love the Lord God with all that you are, you are going to love your neighbors as yourself. For that's the call of the God that you love with all your heart. That we would love one another. That we have not been called to be just some sort of hermit up in a mountain keeping to ourselves, and it's just me and God, and that's all that counts. Oh, we've been given the, the wonderful richness of relationship and given that wonderful opportunity to serve each other. Another reason that people are not regular in their attendance in worship and gathering together is we become so incredibly consumeristic. It's, it's all about what I'm in the mood for. We think about it in what we eat, the movies we go see, the TV shows we watch. We sit there and we've been given we've been given just such a panoply of opportunities before us that, that we have come to assume that that's the case in everything that we do. Now, young folks here, you're gonna you're gonna laugh at this, and you old folks are gonna shake your head because we all know it to be true that in growing up, you know, when we would gather to sit there and, and, and watch television as a family to watch a a show. You know, we had one of three channels to choose from, right? You had one on VHF and you had two on UHF and you'd have to get up there and you'd crank that knob around and until you break the knob off and you have to use a pair of vice grips to turn the channel, right? I was my daddy's remote. We've heard all those stories, right? And you'd watch them when they came on. There was no, I remember my first VCR we got when I was in high school, you know, and what a remarkable thing. Then you had to you know, find a videotape that you could put in there to record something. You could only do one thing, and you'd always do it wrong, so you'd miss half of it anyway. It was this idea that you you, you had to, to experience the blessing of, of whatever it was at the right time in the right way. But now, oh my goodness, we have been given just the ability to choose and to structure and to program and to plan everything according to me. My schedule, who I am, we become so, so consumeristic. I am the customer, and the customer is always right. So we look at this. The writer of Hebrews says we need to consider about how do we stir each other up? How do we encourage each other? How do we build each other up, and how do we place one another in a, in a position to succeed in doing love and good works, well, it's by not neglecting to come together. We can't stir one another up if we're not there with each other. We cannot continue in the habit of not gathering. But we have to ask the question: Why is that? Why? What is the why behind all of this? We look at at the end of chapter twenty-five, uh, verse twenty-five, and chapter ten. It says, "Encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching." What an incredibly interesting phrase there. All the more as you see the day approaching, uh, certainly we think about the day of Christ Jesus, as we anticipate uh, the culmination of all things, the completion of all the promises, the day when we see our Savior face to face, in the new heavens, the new earth, all the promises uh, that we find in God's word, perfectly fulfilled in front of us. As we cast our eyes upon that, we find that we are motivated not simply by the temporary things of this world, but our motivation is of God. We're motivated by the reality of his word. And our Savior Jesus stimulates us to do this. Your love for God and your love for people will give you great delight in taking every opportunity you have to gather, to encourage, and to press one another to understanding that the promises that God has made are real. And eternity Eternity is that which binds us together. And our Savior is that which calls us into one body. It's what makes us a family. It's what calls us together to worship the God who loved us and loved us all first. Christian, let me encourage you that you cannot cannot fulfill God's word by not gathering together. You can't do it. You cannot do what God encourages us to do if you are not a part of the family of God. Just take, for instance, if you look in Scripture, depending on how you count it, there's somewhere between 50 and 60 times that the Word says that we are to do things to one another. To be at peace with one another. To wash one another's feet. To love one another. To be devoted to one another in brotherly love. To honor one another. To live in harmony with one another. The one another imperatives of scripture can't be fulfilled if you're not with one another we can't obey god's word if we are not gathering together and that's in small groups that's in homes yes but what a wonderful thing it is when we can come together as the body of christ as a whole and so you ask me all right preacher then how many times do i have to show up to make make all this okay how how many times Do I have to be there every time the church door is (laughs) open? I say, well, I've got to be, so you've got to (laughs) be. If you're asking that question, there's a problem. It's like asking, how much do I have to give? How much do I have to love my neighbor? Think about Peter asking that question, how much do I have to forgive And understanding that Jesus' answer is the same way. That we've been given the privilege, the blessing, and the ability to forgive, to give, to love, to serve, and to gather. That we ought to want to be together as much as possible. Now, that doesn't mean everybody always at once, but there ought to be a great joy in coming together because we find that we are different. You see, when our Savior and, and when Paul are both dealing with the issue about how we treat people, they, they both say something very similar, consistent with one another, obviously, saying that you've heard it said you love your friends and you hate your enemies. But Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Paul says the same thing. But the follow up to that is this. For what good is it? What, how, how, is it uh, how is it beneficial and how is it any different than the rest of the world if you only love those people who are like you? You only love those people who love you. You only like those people who, who do the things that you like. And we think about gathering together as we, if we're if we going to pick and choose our, our groups and come together in, in that way. Well, we're just acting like the rest of the world. I'm going to hang out with who I want to hang out with. As opposed to looking around and saying, the, the body of Christ is so diverse. We are all, even in this room, we find ourselves in different stages of life. We find ourselves in different situations of life. We find uh, folks that, that have means, folks that are struggling with means. We find that we are a different group. We experience different joys and different pains. And we can come together and say what a wonderful thing it is that our Savior is one and the same. How wonderful it is that we can come together, bound together in the bonds of Christ. In a relationship that resembles the bonds of Christ with me a relationship that God established through Jesus Christ with me, that there is nothing that can separate me from it. And in the same way that we would look to one another and say, and there is nothing that will ever separate me from being your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ, one who loves you. And one who even when we struggle, we will be united in the bonds of love of Jesus. We ought to stir one another up, be encouraged by this, and let me tell you just personally as your pastor, personally as a as a brother in Christ, that, that there are days that I as a sinner, I struggle and I'm weak. There's days when, when I, I need to be stirred up. I need to be spurred on. I need the body. I need those who are going to come alongside and encourage and, and help me to press forward. And I know that you do too. And what a wonderful blessing it is that God gives us each other. And that in doing so, that we would give glory to Him. All the more as we see that day when we will be together forever. And let me tell you, you might as well start loving each other well now. Because we're going to be together for an awful long time. And what a wonderful thing it is that God has given us. The family that we might say it is good to be in the fellowship to be good, to be in the house of the Lord together. Amen. Pray with me now. Lord God, thank you for your word. Father, forgive us for uh, those those times when we, we simply seek to fulfill the desires of our flesh, that we're, we're lazy, we're tired, we want to be entertained, we want to be amused, we want to, uh, Father, just get. But Lord, what a wonderful thing it is that you call us together to be encouraged, to be inspired, to be strengthened in our giving. Lord, thank you for the privilege and the blessing of gathering together in worship. We thank you that you give us occasion Sunday mornings and Sunday night to come together as the body of Christ. Thank you for the opportunities throughout the week that we might gather in smaller groups to encourage one another. But Lord, may we be seeking out those times to be among the people of God, to rejoice and to encourage, and all the while seeking to bring others into the family. For what a wonderful thing it is that you have adopted us as sons and daughters, and that we might be a means by which you bring other children to know you as their heavenly Father. Lord, thank you for all of this, and we praise your name, you who have loved us with a love that will not let us go. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.